Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, July 20th, 2021, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Well, we're happy to welcome Ann Crawford back to our show. Ann is a light worker and an award-winning and best-selling author of six books with a couple more on the way. With her trademark optimism, her life-affirming books weave tales of love and intrigue that take readers on mystical journeys. Her characters live radiant lives touched by magic, an ability Anne believes we all have. In particular, she loves writing about starseed subjects. And um, her newest book, Fresh Off the Starship, is a romantic comedy about a star being sent to help humanity. I think we'll all relate to that one. Um, Life in the Hollywood Lane is about an actor dealing with the suicide of her best friend, but it's also funny and quirky. Spellweaver, a mystical story about a healer during the burning times. Angels on Overtime, a romantic comedy about angels and the humans under their watch. Mary's Message, about Mary Magdalene and Yeshua. And Visioning, about manifesting the life of your dreams. Her books are available on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. Anne has traveled the world to all 50 states and 75 countries so far, including two complete circumnavigations of the planet. She has lived, oh, all over, she says, in every continental time zone, and now she and her husband live in Colorado with the view of the Rocky Mountains out of the window. Her hobbies include improv and stand-up comedy. She's also an award-winning documentary filmmaker. You can check out her website, which is annecrawford.net, and you can also connect with her on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Jada and Fiona for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or comment. We have an online starseed community at starseedhotline.ning, and you can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And remember, if you want to show your support of our program, all you have to do is click follow on our page here, and you'll get our bi-weekly show notice if you enable those. Um, our main website is starseedhotline.com. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart. And the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one Zoom session available with Lavendar for her um, established clients, Anastasia, Emerald, Miara, Riley, or myself. And uh, we all do Stage 2s now. And with our new team members, you'll be able to have a consultation in a matter of weeks rather than months. And remember, if you have a birthday coming up, you get a window of 10 hours of power. So you find out exactly how, when that happens, you can make the most of it. And um, that chart takes usually less than a week. But if you do want the interpretation of that chart, uh, you'll need to order it ahead of time um, or with me about four months ahead. So first up tonight, I would like to uh, introduce Anastasia with her wonderful Starseed News. Good evening, everyone. It's great to be with you on this nice summer's evening. Hello, Ariel. 
Hello. And uh, lots of news to hello, lots of news tonight to report. I'm just doing a couple of last-minute edits as I'm waiting for you to come on, and here I am on the wrong page. So let me scroll <laughs> up to the headline to start with is our science section. Um, neuroscientists are proving that uh, taking more outdoor walks is great for your brain. Well, they tell us that adults spend 80 to 90% of our time indoors on the average, but as animals, we're supposed to spend far more time in the outdoors. So if you ever need convincing to get outside or more convincing, science has found that it's important to awaken ourselves by connecting with the outdoors, not just because it helps our moods, but because it's beneficial for the brain. Now, a team of scientists at the Max Planck Institute for Human Development studied adults over six to eight months, tracking their daily behaviors while taking MRI scans of their brains. And through in-depth analysis, they found that this outdoor activity uh, positively impacts brain structure. The researchers found that time spent outdoors is linked with more gray matter in parts of the prefrontal cortex that oversee cognitive control, regulation, and planning. Psychologist and a neuroscientist at the Institute and a lead author of the study says that their results show, quote, our brain structure and mood improve when we spend time outdoors. This most likely affects our concentration, our working memory, and the psyche as a whole, end quote. Well, the researchers also recognize that plenty of the psychiatric disorders that people endure are associated with, guess what, less gray matter in their brains. So in the future, they say that a walks outdoors may be part of mental health treatment. They say the weather doesn't have anything to do with it, really, because the benefits are, are good no matter what the weather's like. Um, so the next time you find yourself stuck on a problem at work or you're just stressed out, Instead of maybe telling yourself you don't have time to focus on anything but what's right in front of your nose, just get on your shoes and go out and take a nice health-boosting walk. It will help you a lot. And I think a lot of you already know that. At least I do. And more news on the brain is that researchers have discovered something now that have allowed a paralyzed man to speak via his brain signals. This is sci-fi stuff. This guy who was severely paralyzed is now able to communicate, well, he still is, uh, he's paralyzed, is able to communicate successfully using this cutting-edge technology that translates signals from his brain to his vocal tract into words that are displayed on a screen. Yep, researchers at UC San Francisco developed this technique that allows people with speech loss to communicate more naturally than other methods that we've seen so far. Previous technology enabled paralyzed users to communicate, but only by typing out one letter at a time, which is really a slow process that requires parts of the brain that control the arms and hands. On the, on the other hand, pardon the pun, uh, this research team developed an implant that can be placed directly on the part of the brain that's dedicated to speaking. This way, the subject can mentally activate the brain patterns they would normally use to pronounce a word. And the system can then take those brain patterns and turn them into words in their entirety rather than single letters. Really? That's... Wow. Wow. Well, to create the implant, volunteers with normal speech allow this research team to analyze their brain recordings for speech-related activities. 
The researchers are then able to study those patterns and develop new methods to decode them in real time. Once the team was ready to see if brain signals controlling the vocal tract would still be intact in patients who've been paralyzed for a long period of time, an anonymous participant has worked with researchers to carry or to create rather a 50-word vocabulary that this research team could interpret through advanced computer algorithms. Now, this, this anonymous patient was then asked to reply to simple questions such as, how are you today, and do you need some water? Well, then the patient would attempt to speak, but instead the reply was uh, displayed on the screen as, for example, I'm doing fine, or I'm not thirsty. So the system is able to decode the patient's speech at up to 18 words per minute with up to 93% accuracy, which is a significant improvement on previous neuroprosthetic systems. This team is really excited about the results. They say that it could really help restore communication by tapping into the brain's natural speech capacities. Wow. Wow. Well, in Utah, uh, a woman who is 92 years old received something very special after she had raised 17 kids. Well, you know, if you ask a person, you know, you did a quiz and said, well, what do you think a 92-year-old woman would receive after 17 kids? I'd raise my hand and say, oh, great-grandchildren. As you know, she had a bunch more great-grandchildren. Well, that's not it. Um, she, then this gift came 76 years late, by the way. And she's made the news a few times in her life, not only because she had a baby on the same date as one of her daughters, but also for having 17 kids. Now, in Utah, they would celebrate having 17 kids. And when asked, you know, what was up with that, she said, well, we had fun. What else do you want to know? She had eight boys and nine girls, and she said they had enough for their own uh, baseball team. Her husband even made them uniforms. Well, way back at the turn of the century, she, she met her husband. Not really. It wasn't that far back. She met her husband when he was 23 years old and didn't ever want to have a big family because she grew up during the Depression, depression having to help her mother uh, and her sister, uh, raise her sisters and help her sisters out with their children. So she said, I guess I never thought about having any kids of my own because I was tired of tending kids. And then when people asked her why she had 17 kids, she said, it just happened. <laughs> An all accomplishment, though. There was one thing she never received. Okay, here it is. What didn't she get? Her high school diploma. Well, that's because in the late 1940s, she left school to help her sister who sent, whose husband went to war. Well, now here it is, 76 years later, and she got her diploma. The local high school gave her her diploma, graduated the class of 2021. Wow. And she says that she watched all of her 17 kids flip their graduation cap tassels, and now it was her turn. She said, at the time, it didn't mean anything to me, but now it really does. Isn't that something? Wow. So That's 92 great. years old, got her high school diploma. Wow. Far out. Okay, well, here's one for you. Don't throw your food scraps away. Oh, yeah, you could compost them that way or... I don't know, put them out for the animals, or I don't know what. But anyway, they have discovered a way to build with food scraps. They're turning food scraps into materials stronger than concrete. Most of us just toss our scraps, or we put them down the garbage disposal, or we recycle them somehow in the way of compost. 
expert researchers in Tokyo, Japan, have developed a new method to reduce food waste by recycling discarded fruit and vegetable scraps into construction materials. Listen, I'm not done. This gets better. Well, they say that worldwide industrial and household food waste amounts to hundreds of billions of pounds per year, a large proportion of which comprises edible scraps like fruit and vegetable peels. Well, they say that this practice is unsustainable because it's costly, it's environmentally unfriendly, and so researchers have been busy searching for new ways to recycle organic materials into useful products. And one of the authors of the study says, our goal was to use seaweed and common food scraps to construct materials that were at least as strong as concrete. I'm thinking, what would ever even give them such an idea? How would you even expect to get concrete out of food scraps? Well, I'll go on. So what they did was they uh, borrowed a heat pressing concept that is typically used to make construction materials from wood powder, such as plywood and stuff, except they used vacuum-dried pulverized food scraps like seaweed, cabbage leaves, orange, and onion, and pumpkin, and banana peels. Those were the things that they, made, that they powdered, and then they subjected it to this heat pressing. Well, this technique involved mixing the food powder with water and seasonings. Catch that. Why would you want seasoning in it? Well, you'll find out. So they mixed the powder with water and seasonings, and then they pressed the mixture into a mold at high, high temperature. Well, then the researchers tested the bending strength of the materials and monitored their taste, smell, and appearance. They said, quote, with the exception of the specimen derived from pumpkin, all of the materials exceeded our bending strength target. We wow. found that Chinese cabbage leaves, which produced a material over three times stronger than concrete, could be mixed with the weaker pumpkin-based material to provide effective reinforcement. These new materials retained their edible nature, and the addition of salt or sugar improved their taste without reducing their strength. Furthermore, these products resisted rot, fungi, and insects, and experienced no appreciable changes in appearance or taste after exposure to air for four months. Well, given that food waste is a global financial burden and environmental concern, they tell us it's crucial that we develop methods for recycling food scraps and using these substances to prepare materials that are strong enough for construction projects but also maintain their edible nature and taste opens the door to a wide range of creative applications and solutions from this one brand new technology. Well, being the inner child that I am, my first thought went to Hansel and Gretel in the cookie house. So, <laughs> I mean, I just think know, gingerbread. Hey, if things get really bad, we can just eat the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And that's that. I mean, that's wild. Yeah. That's wild. Well, it just goes to show you. You know, now whoever thought when they looked at a pile of banana peels, hey, I wonder what I could do to turn that into concrete or use it for a construction. Well, you know, I mean, now that's creative thinking. Okay, that's like out of the blue stuff. Most of us would laugh, but they did it. So, wow. wow, power to them. That's amazing stuff. That's awesome. All right. Well, yeah, I think a lot of you are like me. You like elephants. Elephants are wondrous creatures. They are awesome on so many levels. 
And, you know, they are famous for their migrations. They have made long marches across savannas and deserts done entirely from their elephant memory. But for 13 captive elephants in Kent, UK, their journey is going to look very different. Um, these elephants are going to make a trip one way by plane, the first of its kind, from an uh, animal park in Kent near Canterbury. It's a rewilding effort that hopes to move all 25 tons of pachyderm through the airplane, via airplane, back to their ancestral homeland of Kenya. Well, that's a lot of weight. That's a lot of elephants. Moving them in an airplane, taking them back to Africa. Well, such a challenge requires experienced minds, but the team behind this mammoth undertaking, pardon the pun, are some of the best around, they tell us. These are experts in wild animal relocation. Say They have a back-to-the-wild program. It's already seen an impressive number of animals born at these parks return to their natural habitat. They've returned lowland gorillas, black rhinos, javan langurs and gibbons, European bison, and clouded leopards are now not only thriving in the wild, but are also successfully breeding. Now, on the Kenyan side, this particular group of people has been protecting wild elephants and rescuing injured ones, nursing them back to health, and reintroducing them to the wilds of Kenya, they tell us, for over 50 years. Now, this is a herd uh, that's going to make a 4,500-mile journey, be the longest and largest release in history for elephants. That's going to take a lot of money and work. They have to build special crates. They have to constantly monitor these elephants, load them onto trucks, and then into the back of a cargo aircraft. That's a lot. But they think there's no other option. They have to move these elephants. So that's what they're going to do. Now, they're going to call it the Dumbo Jet, by the way. Oh, God. Dumbo, Disney <laughs> elephants. Yeah, yeah. And so they haven't, this is in process, they haven't actually... Uh, done that yet as far as I can tell so we'll let you know what happens but they did say that and I didn't know this elephants don't do well in captivity uh, hardly any are born the females only live half their natural life and over half the elephants in captivity are obese now the average person couldn't tell whether an elephant was obese or not but the experts assure us that that's that's right they have foot problems skin problems, and mental distress for being, in, for being captive. And uh, one of the participants in this program says, I think we would have done something good in the world if we can achieve this. Once they get into the, their natural habitat, they're going to be so happy wandering about, meeting other wild elephants, having babies together. So, And among the 13 elephants, there's going to be three calves, which is how it got the name uh, the 747 plane is being called the Dumbo Jet. <laughs> so there you go. I'll keep you posted on that, but that's a lovely story, and, and it's, sure, it's good. Yeah. Well, cats and dogs. Wow. Cats and dogs. Um, it was just a usual early morning walk for a dog named Coda and her mama until this husky dog made it an extraordinary day by saving a life. Uh, Mom and dog were walking their regular route past the Fearless Kitty Rescue Building at around 5 in the morning when the dog suddenly stopped. 
Well, the owner says that the dog usually sniffs around this area, but this time something was different. She said, the dog made a beeline to our donation bench. She said, on our donation bench was a cooler that was zipped up, no holes, and then wrapped up in a garbage bag. Coda, the dog, wouldn't leave it. She was like, there's something in there. I want in there. Something's in there. The dog appeared uh, to try to persuade the owner to unzip the cooler, which she did. And as soon as the cooler was open, just a portion, it was, it's a red cooler. They showed a picture of it with what was inside of it. And the zipper was partly opened. And guess what happened? A black cat popped her head out, gasping for air, so relieved to be free and able to breathe. Oh. Somebody put a cat in a cooler and put it in a garbage bag. And the dog found it. Well, they gave the abandoned cat immediately to the shelter. They said the cat was shaken up and kind of frozen. But they say the cat, which they've named Julianne, has been adapting to the life at the rescue, and they expect someone to adopt her soon, and she has recovered from her trauma. The dog saved the cat. Wow. Dogs and cats getting along together. That's wonderful. But wow, what a story. Yeah. Well, um, I'm asking a question that no one can answer because we have a radio audience, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Have any of you heard of underwater farms? Well, no. I to admit it, but I haven't. Okay, good. Thank you, Aria. You make me feel better. Well, there is such a thing. And now maybe some of you have heard of floating farms, which I have heard of, and that can be an indication of how agriculture might look in the future. But underwater farms are just getting started. And with that said, it appears that their prospects to increase food security across the world looks very promising, they tell us. Now, just recently, the world's first underwater farm started producing fruit and vegetables. What do you know? What are they calling it? They're calling it Nemo's Garden, the underwater farm that's once again yielding produce after a pandemic pause. They paused it for a year because of the pandemic. Well, what this is, it's six mini underwater greenhouses off the coast of Italy. This farm uses solar energy and desalinated seawater to produce various herbs, lettuce, and strawberries eight meters under the water surface. There's a photograph of it online. It's really cool. It looks so futuristic. These domes are round, really cool looking. Looks like a little city under the sea, under the water. But they say if we continue to exploit and reduce our forest stocks, and, and the green lungs for the planet. The climate change process is going to accelerate, leading to the rise of sea levels. But now we can look at our oceans as a resource to be protected in a sustainable way that we can explore at the same time as an alternative to traditional farming. Now they tell us that the sea naturally provides ideal temperatures for plant growth, but there's more to growing plants underwater. According to the people who do it, they say that in addition to yielding crops that are stronger in flavor, the underwater environment provides plants with protection. They say it's a lab and nothing can reach the plant unless it's being brought in from the outside. And so for now, Nemo's Garden is mainly an underwater research lab, but it is expected to increase food security in coastal areas in the future. Wild, huh? So That's water cool. takes the land and we plant food in the water. There's a solution. I love that. Well, here's a story you're all going to love, and I hope that I can 
I can share it with you in a way that's just right. We just had the 4th of July, what, a little over a couple weeks ago, maybe, and it's common to hear fireworks around July 4th. Heck, in my neighborhood, they start shooting them off in June. And um, we like to look at them, but their sound is scary for people <laughs> sometimes, and especially dogs. And my cat never liked it either. He would always hide. Well, uh, there was a dog that this story's about. Still is a dog. Dog still alive, doing fine. A, a happy dog. And she loved uh, to snuggle, and she loves to be in the backyard. But when it comes to things like thunder and lightning and fireworks, it scares her. So this dog, whom they've named Raja, has always had trouble with fireworks and thunder. Her mother said she's very scared by loud noises. We don't know what happened to her before we adopted her from the shelter, but this is a very sensitive puppy. Well, back on June 27th, um, neighbors were setting on uh, fireworks, and the dog ran away. She was out in the yard when neighbors set off fireworks. She got scared. She jumped the fence and ran off. Well, the owners were freaked out. I mean, they, they looked for hours and hours. They asked the neighbors to help them. And about 1 o'clock, they decided to just stop driving around and hoped that someone would have taken her into their house because none of them could find her, and they hoped the dog was all right. They had posted their dog on, about their dog on social media. They were going to call the shelters the next day. But they were tuckered out, and they went home, and they went to bed. But at 3 o'clock in the morning, they heard the doorbell. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, somebody comes up and rings your doorbell. That's going to get your attention. Yeah. And then they heard scratches. Unbelievably, guess who it was? The dog. The dog not only managed to get back home, she rang the doorbell. I'm going to let that sink in. They have a photograph of it. I don't know if they had it. I guess it was a, one of those doorbells with a camera in it. Uh-huh. The dog's, it's adorable. The dog's eyes, nose right up there. You can see the dog reading the doorbell. Unbelievable. The owner said, we're so excited to see her. Honestly, we were scared she was hurt. To see her coming home was the best feeling. We couldn't have been happier. But she was completely dumbfounded that the dog could ring the doorbell once they opened the door they saw that the dog was covered in dirt thorns and dog poo (laughs) and looking very very guilty the dog thought she would be in trouble she sulked inside (laughs) can you just see this how sheepish she must have looked they said they cleaned her off and they put her in bed with them and everything was fine they got the dog back She was safe. She felt guilty for running off, but she found her way home, and she rang the doorbell. That's That's amazing. (laughs) Awesome. You know, they're doing studies now all over the planet about the consciousness of animals, and they are really, um, there's a thing out about octopus. It was too long of a story to share with you tonight. I might share it with you another week. They're now calling them octos instead of octopi. But they're doing studies on the consciousness of octopus, excuse me, octos, plural. And they are finding out amazing things. Octopus have affection. Um, they show love to people. They develop bonds. And, and they taste with their arms. And by the way, each arm of an octopus has a brain. Each arm is equipped with, with a brain. And so we can't even imagine how they think or perceive their reality. 
but certainly they taste and feel and, and kind of see with their little suction cups. And the researchers get in the pools with them in the water and have learned to develop relationships with them. And the octopuses will express themselves to the people by feeling them up and reading them and, and smelling them and tasting them. And that's how they identify the people that they literally grow fond of and develop relationships with. And this is opening up a whole new arena in the study of animal consciousness, which I am delighted beyond measure that we finally, after all this time, begun to take the leap and recognize the intelligence and the, the exquisite consciousness and the, really the ultimate equality, which talking all of you know that, of the animal kingdom with humans. And it amounts to all of these different species, beautiful beings in and of themselves, sharing the same reality of Earth and yet experiencing a different reality based on the bodies that they incarnate in and the way their perceptions are wired. Um, but they have emotions and feelings and, you know, from the lowest to the highest, there it is. Lives of their own and, and um, whole worlds within worlds that animals experience that we are clueless about. They are now just beginning to question this, investigate it, raise questions about it, and uh, that bodes very well for the future. A whole new world coming if we can, you know, just manage to keep everything else intact, which we shall. But um, can you imagine what that's going to be like in 100 years when really all of that science opens up? The intelligent, we pretty much know dogs are intelligent, but uh, there's a lot more to learn about that even. So when you hear a story about a dog ringing a doorbell, you know, I, I know a person has a dog that can open the door, and I'm sure all of you have heard that too. Maybe some of you have dogs like that. Um, but this is uh, an intelligence that we honor and respect and love and cherish and celebrate these companions on the planet with us that make everything so beautiful really it's a wonderful world with all of our our beautiful um companion spirits that inhabit other forms of bodies and other ways of perceiving things they have so much to teach us and from that i'm speaking <laughs> speaking of that from my heart to each one of you much love everybody i so enjoy being with you when we have our our sessions together our our news programs every couple of weeks and I'll see you again in two weeks, and you all have a beautiful, beautiful couple of weeks till we meet again. Thank you, Ariel, very much for letting me be with you tonight. Well, thank you, Anastasia. I'm going to, those are those are some great stories. It's like what? <laughs> well, they're what? I'm just delighted to hear these breakthroughs. <clears throat> yeah. So it's we'll wonderful. talk to you Watch in, good in stuff two weeks. Going on, really. Okay, you bet you will. Okay. Good night, everybody. Take care. Good night. Okay, well, uh, we are going to get our guest, Ann Crawford and Lavendar. Get your microphones open. Okay, we got the mics open. Hello, Ann. Welcome back to the show. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. It's so great to be back with you. I love you all so much. <laughs> oh, we love you too. And we're excited to hear about your new book. So, Lavendar is going to kick it off tonight. Um, so, Go ahead, Lavender. Okay, I'm here. So, so Anne, I'm so excited to have you as our guest this evening. And you have written so many books, and I know you've got another one that you've just finished writing. But let's talk about one of the first books that you wrote called Fresh Off the Starship, a romantic comedy about a star being sent to help humanity. Give us a little insight to what this book is about. 
Okay, sure. Actually, that's the most recent one that came out. It came out in 2018. Um, so that's the last one that was published. And it's about a star being, a walk-in, who was supposed to go to Washington, D.C., um, but that person, ended, the one she was supposed to take over, ended up deciding to stay and live. So she got diverted to Kansas. And all of her training went out the window in the diversion. So she woke up as an adult human woman without any knowledge of what was going on. So she learned everything from scratch. And the woman whose body she took over died in a car wreck. Um, But her family thought that this woman, the walk-in, was still her. So they just thought she had amnesia. So there's a lot of comedy, a lot of just really crazy things. Like the nurse said, nobody I've ever seen has taken to orange juice and oatmeal like this before. Or the first time she took a shower or the first time her husband took her to Starbucks. I mean, all those things I got to think about. What would it be like if I was experiencing this for the very first time? And she gradually learned how to do this life thing that we all take for granted, and we've all had decades of experience in. And it's funny, it's uplifting, it's deep, it tackles some social issues. All of my books are, my specialty is deep and funny, but I also tackle social issues like everything from um, abortion and incest and PTSD and just the whole gamut. Um, they're they're in there too. So, so that's uh, didn't this that. take place on a farm? Uh, weren't they farm people? Didn't. Yeah, yeah. She was supposed to go to Washington D.C., but she got diverted to Kansas. <laughs> yeah, and she vaguely remembered being trained to sit in all these elegant restaurants, and she thought, um, "This isn't that." <laughs> so, so you said that's your last one. I, I have the the six of them in front of me. I didn't know which one was written first, so I just right, made... right. So, uh, and. Tell- the one called Life in the Hollywood Lane. Tell us about it. Okay, that's a quirky and funny one, but it's about someone who's dealing with um, the suicide of her best friend, and that's kind of based on a true story. I worked in um, talent management in Hollywood for a little while, and one of our actors, a beautiful, funny, talented, intelligent, lit-up, fabulous woman, um, committed suicide, and we were devastated. And a couple of years later, her story came to me, and I wanted her to be the hero, the shiro of her story, no matter how it ended. So it it takes place in Hollywood, um, in the mind of the friend who was left behind, and so it's dealing with suicide, of course, and a few other things. Um, but it's also funny and quirky. A friend of mine, um, I love to do funny, and she said, she said the use of your humor is majestic because you use it to drive these deep points home 
in a way that I've never seen before is what she said. She's a minister who's traveled the world, so I took her at her word. <laughs> well, I happen to agree with her because I've read your books, and you're, it's right on. You take something very stark, and you turn it into funny and quirky, and that's 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 the mark of a, a, a wonderful writer. And, Thank and you. you. And you and you describe everything with pictures and not with words, which is also pretty cool. So the next one uh, is called Spellweaver, a mystical right, story. Right, that's about a healer during the witch hunts, during the oh. burning burning times. I and to know of all of them, that's probably the most starseedy. Well, that one in Angels on Overtime. Well, Starship is obviously starseed. Um but it's about a woman in 1597 in Scotland who just is awake. She'd be what we call woke. <laughs> um, and making a beautiful life in what everybody else would view as pretty dreary. And she is hunted by a witch hunter. And, she, I mean, you know from the beginning that it's going to be – that that she's going to die. So she goes out forgiving her witch hunter and you just she forgives him, she looks at him as she goes out and then you know he's never going to do that again. Um but she's a healer and magic and just a beautiful being. And the the thing about that story is I remember that life. I was on a bus going across the island of Mull, going to the island of Iona, and this whole life just came back to me. I remembered it, um, looking at the hills of Scotland out the window. And she has a sister in the story. And when I got, years after I got back from Scotland, um, my sister and I were driving one day and I she told me about a past life memory that she had in Scotland where she saw her sister get burned at the stake and she couldn't do anything to save her and she went on a little bit but I pulled the car over to the side of the road and I I'm getting chills as I said I said I remember that life as your sister so the story is dedicated, the book is dedicated to my sister, and I say by birth and by heart. So she remembers being the sister, and I remember being the other, the one who got burned. And in the story, the sister can't talk. Well, I, I, won't, I won't spoil it more, but... <laughs> so. Okay. Well, that's, that's really something for you to have... A conscious experience and then make it into a story. I love that. I love that you're sharing. Thank you. Okay, Angels on Overtime. Tell us about this romantic comedy about angels and humans. That was such a fun story to write. My husband, my current husband, on the day his divorce was final, he wrote a list of what he wanted in his next and last wife, and he wrote 40 things. And I was 39 and a half of <laughs> And the last thing on his list was she has her own list and I meet all of her criteria. And I did, and he does. So when we got together, he was in Kansas and I was in the San Francisco Bay Area. 
And we just pictured this bumbling bunch of angels trying to get the two of us together. Well, let's see, these 40 things. Well, there's this woman in California. He was specific. He wanted, like, intelligent, at peace with her world, spiritual. And then he had some physical things, like between 5'10 and 6 feet, and I'm 5'11". He wanted blue eyes that sparkle. Well, they do. (laughs) So we pictured these angels saying, well, there's this woman over here in California, but she's married. Oh, well, that won't work. Well, how married is she? (laughs) Because around the time he wrote that list, I suddenly started having conversations with the air in my bedroom about leaving my husband. (laughs) And so we got together, and a lot of that story is actually true. It's a crazy, funny, up-and-down story, but a lot of it is true. So it was really fun to write. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. As long as I've known you, you've never told me this part of that story, that it was based on <laughs> of you. Oh, I love it. Okay. Then there's the one called Mary's Message about Mary Magdalene and Jesus, Joshua. Right, right. That's an alternative story. They are married, and they do get together. The Indians think that Jesus, like from India, um, that Jesus survived the crucifixion and he went to India both before and after the crucifixion. So I put that in the story. Um, and they think Mother Mary is buried in Mari, Pakistan, and that Mary Magdalene did go to France as we as is pretty common knowledge and stuff. So I read that book, that was my introduction, and then I went to Jerusalem and was staying in the old city of Jerusalem and the whole story just came to me. So it's interesting. I was sitting on a bus in Scotland and that one story came to me. I was sitting in the old city of Jerusalem and this story came to me. So it helps to travel. (laughs) Yeah, well, sometimes you get inspiration by being on the land of where it happened. You know, the land has... The land has soul resonance, I've come to know. There's a right. lot of places on the planet that where a, a lot of blood has been spilled, and when people start showing up in those places and their bloodline starts going harmonically set, then people start remembering. Right. So the land and the souls come together at that moment. Right. And I do have the Jesus and Mary Magdalene bloodline um, star symbol in my chart. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. you do. Yeah, now, we arrived in the old city of Jerusalem at 3 o'clock in the morning, and it was like just stepping back in time. There are no cars allowed in the walled-off area, so the taxi let us off at the gate, and we walked to our hotel. I just felt like it was the year zero. <laughs> yeah, like, okay. So to divert a little bit, you have been to our Starseed Quest several times. Can you um, give our audience a little bit of of your feelings about what has happened for you each time you come to our Starseed Quest? Oh, my goodness. They are so, I, I mean, there just aren't words, magnificent, <laughs> awesome. Beyond, They're just beyond your wildest imagination and they 
are activating. I mean, we come together and we get activated by meeting each other, sister, st- sister and brother star seeds, and we help lift each other up and set each other on our launch pads and help each other blast off. It's just amazing. There just aren't enough superlatives for, for that experience. Well, mostly because they're really hand-picked, not, not only by us but by higher beings. Whoever walks through the door is, is, has heard the calling, and they must have either 25, 26, or 27 degrees in their charts, the starseed markings. So when you find a room full of starseeds that have these markings, there's kind of a buzz going on, like a bunch of bees getting together, you know? <laughs> right, right. And, the and I do um, get together with the ones in Denver, like Mari and um, Lisa up in the high country. And so we, you know, we're friends for life, for sure. The whole, the whole group is just amazing. Well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So, so now you've written a, a, another book and you're getting ready to uh, launch it. What's the name of your new book? It's called Bazoomerangs. And the other books I've self-published, and this one is with a top New York agent who is really, she's had me rewrite it a few times to get it really ready for a top publisher. So this is really exciting. I'm just thrilled, and we should be hearing any day now from her about the last rewrite I did. A friend of mine said that a friend of hers, her publisher made her do 10 rewrites of her book and then sold a million copies. So I said, okay, I can handle this. (laughs) It's about three generations of women, a hippie flower child grandmother, a born-again Christian conservative mom, and a trans 20-year-old. So you have a boomer who went to Woodstock, a Gen Xer who was conceived at Woodstock and rebelled against all that, (laughs) and then a Gen Zer, trans woman. And they're all under one roof. What could go right? (laughs) (laughs) And that, too, is very funny and very real and very deep with lots of social issues brought up in that one. And I do have experience of a trans person in my life, so I do talk from experience. So let me ask you, um, what are you doing with your stand-up comedy routine since we can't have audiences? I was so shocked when you sent me that video of you doing stand-up. I went, what? But you (laughs) you were funny. This is another talent you had that I didn't know about. Yeah, I didn't know about it either. (laughs) It just kind of came out. Well, I've been doing improv for a while, and the open mic is after our Wednesday night improv shows. So I just went a couple times and just had so much fun. And honestly, the last time I did it was right before the stay-at-home time started. So I haven't gone back to it yet, but I'm starting to... It's a lot harder than improv because you have to come up with all of your material and everything and make it new each time and all that. Um, whereas improv, you know, everything's just spur of the moment. That's much easier in many regards. So I haven't been back in front of a microphone, but I will. I will. And I know you want me to do Starseed comedy. I do. I and want I, you to do 
starseed comedy. I don't know of anyone that's doing starseed comedy. There's there's so much material with what we deal with at, at metaphysical and galactic levels. You could really, um, you know, take off and 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 be known for that. Actually, you could probably get your own uh, Netflix show. <laughs> No, well, all of my books, I want them to be movies, and so there, there's a lot of work. But for the comedy, maybe you and I should work together, because you've got all the material, and I've got well, all the get out there yeah. and yeah, maybe make people we laugh. And talk about that the next time we have time to sit and and, and uh, look at things. I think, yeah, I I've got kind of that comedic mind myself. <laughs> you sure do. <laughs> so. Tell us a little bit about uh, when did you first wake up to metaphysical happenings? Were you born with it? Did it come later in your life? When was your um, awakening? Well, I was raised Catholic. My mom was going to be a nun. My dad talked her out of it. Otherwise, you'd be <laughs> talking to another guest right now. <laughs> um, so I went to church every Sunday, and when, when I was pretty young, like age eight or so, I just remember sitting there thinking, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> and my mother, who, was, who this person who was going to be a nun, actually told me all these wild, offbeat things, like about reincarnation and about the convening session, sessions we have between lives and just things you wouldn't expect from a woman who was going to be a nun. And then I didn't really do anything until um, my dad was an alcoholic and he got sober and we went to the family program and that's when I started my healing journey. And then a few years later was the harmonic convergence and right before that I took a class with Nikki Scully who's a well-known shaman. She's an author and she taught me, she was teaching something similar to Reiki and I took that class, and that was it. There was no going back. I I just oh, wow. There's a lot more here than we ever than I knew. So between that and the harmonic convergence, that was the start of a whole new life, really. And um, I've been inside Mount Shasta. I met some blue people in there. They took me inside, and I've told this story before, but it it. I keep going back to Mount Shasta, and they keep taking me back inside, and they keep saying the same thing. And I, I said, what they said was, well, I said, okay, <laughs> I have the spiritual world down. I'm having trouble with the 3D world. What do I need to do? And they said, love more. And I said, well, duh. And they said, no, we really mean it. Love more. <laughs> Like with every sip of water, every bite of food, every breath you take, every time you look at your beloved, every time, every, love more with every second of your life and every cell of your being. So I said, oh, Lisa, when you go into a convenience store, light it up. That's your job. Light up the stores. <laughs> so I said, okay. And then... A, you know, I'd go back to Mount Shasta, they'd take me back in, and I'd say, well, what what do I do? And they, they said, we told you, love more. I said, you said that already. And they said, you're not doing it. <laughs> not like we've told you to, really. 
like we said, with every cell of your being, every breath, every moment, every look, that's your job. Love more. Light up 7-Elevens. So that's their message. And then a few mo- a couple months ago, we went to Crestone, and I met some brown beings. They're tall, and um, they look Egyptian. They have Egyptian eyes and, like, a- Egyptian heads. And some friends of ours had sent us there. And when I got back, I called my girlfriend, and she, I said, you, I met these beings. They're just amazing. And I started describing. She said, wait a minute, I have to get my husband on the phone. So he had seen them too. Apparently, you know, it, I mean, we always think we're crazy, so it's good to get collaboration. That, oh, yeah, I saw them too. But they're beautiful beings and they can read the past and the future and just direct things to being on track and okay and that we're on a right path it was wonderful to meet them so that was crestone colorado right right and that was just in may in may wow were you there were you there on pleiadian lineup i was there for my birthday Oh, sorry, for your birthday. Okay, good. Yeah. Just before Pleiadian lineup. Yeah, okay. So um, let's go back to 1987. Where were you for the harmonic convergence? <laughs> I was in San Francisco doing nothing special except I, ha- I was with a very straight-laced boyfriend then, and I made him hum for seven minutes, or <laughs> which he did do. But that was all we did. I didn't do anything special that day. I just I just felt like outside of the apartment or anything. But I just felt a shift that day and that time. And from hanging out with Nikki and a whole bunch of other people that I got introduced to by taking that class. So nothing special that day, but that time was a big turning point. What I'm what I'm finding with lots of people that I have sessions with is that something was activated in them like a time release capsule, but but maybe they didn't even acknowledge it for two or three years, or many many years later maybe. But it right. seems to be an activation time that it's almost like they were coded to be released later, not then. Right, right. I was pretty living a pretty straight-laced life, other than the Reiki class that opened me up to everything. <laughs> but I yeah. still went back to a 3D life. And you're right, it took a few years to really get going. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've traveled a lot. Um, you've been to, what, 75 countries? What took you to 75 countries? Did you have a job or something where you got to travel? No, I I just always wanted to travel the world, and I did when I was 28, 29, and I met my first husband on that trip, He and I knew I was going to meet my husband on that trip, and I, I just wasn't expecting it to be in New Zealand. <laughs> I thought no. I was going to be at the, the trip, but um, and I, I went to Vietnam and Cambodia and Nepal and India and and just all around, and then he and I went around the world um, 10 years later to make a movie, a documentary. So 
like like I said, these were two complete circumnavigations of the planet. So I want to talk to any flat earthers <laughs> and just say, you know, I didn't fall off anywhere, or maybe I did. Maybe that answers everything. <laughs> so, but I started in California and ended up in California doing a circle. <laughs> yeah. So, but um, so I made a movie that second time around the world, and I also made a documentary about Vietnam vets going back to Vietnam. And some of their stories actually made it into Fresh Off the Starship. The dads of the of Missy and her husband were both Vietnam vets. And I did share a couple of the stories of the vets that I'd been with. It was an honor of a lifetime to be with those guys as they went back to Vietnam 20 years after they'd been there and just let go of all the guilt and shame that they'd had for participating in the war. Um, We did humanitarian work. We rebuilt a, a shelter for amputees. And then we went back to where the guys had been stationed, their AOs, areas of operation. And at one point, the whole town came out to meet us. And so the the guy, who, one of the guys who had been fighting against our guys was the leader of this town coming out to meet us. And Bob, our guy who had been in the town, you know, in the late 60s, they just shook hands and they cried. And, oh, my, I have chills all over me again. And one of our guys was Hawaiian. And he was in the Mekong Delta area working on a boat on the river, on the Mekong River. And one of the trans, he, he always regretted that we left Vietnam so quickly and left all our friends, our allies in alert, including like the translators. And so he was walking down the street, I think it was in Cantau, and somebody yelled out, Papa P which was his call signal, and it stand, stood for um, Papa Pineapple. And he said, we could get into all that about it not being the right thing to call me, but that was my call signal, Papa P. And, he, and the translator said, you came back. I knew you'd come back. And they hugged each other in the middle of the street, and, and they were going to send their son, the translator's son, over to... Buster's home in Hawaii, and that didn't happen, but just the healing on both sides, and, you know, they were hugging each other with tears streaming down their faces, and like I said, it was the honor of a lifetime to be part of that journey. Well, that's wonderful. You've done so many wonderful things on the planet already. I can't imagine what else you're going to do because you're so full of of, of love and, and vibrations and and connectiveness with starseeds. I'm I'm so thrilled to know you and every time you come to the quest it's always something that that lifts up the entire room and, and I want you to know that. You always Thanks. lift up the room. Yeah. So at this time I would like to uh, share we share you with my co host Ariel and she has the switchboard. So um and when you get this book ready, the new one, you come back on and, and, and tell us more about it when, when the book comes out, okay? I will. I can't wait to tell you. 
Okay. Thank you, Anne. So back to you, Ariel. Okay. Wow. I heard more things uh, this time that I hadn't heard before about some of your, you know, life journey, and that's just so full. So um, first of all, I want to invite anybody who might have a question or comment for Anne. Um, If you're already on the switchboard, just press 1 so we know you have a question or comment. And if you're listening on the computer, then pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292. And then as soon as you get in, press 1, and um, our producers will get you ready to come on the air if you have uh, a question or comment uh, for Ann. So I wanted to I wanted to talk a little bit more about your, your Mount Shasta um, adventure. So sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, tell me about, you know, the, the, the timing, and did you go with, uh, um, with a plan, or did you just go and wait for something to happen? Well, I went with my sister, the one who shared that life in Scotland with me. <laughs> um, on New Year's, it was 2013, 2014, and we, we just decided to go. Um, and so it was New Year's Day, 2014, and I was sitting on the mountain. And I have a very dear friend who um, has been in the mountain many times. And one time she came out. And she had spots all over her dress, green spots. And they said, we want you to know that you were really in here. <laughs> so we gave you the <laughs> So I was sitting on the mountain just meditating, and I was suddenly inside, lying on a table with these beautiful beings. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what they are. I'm pretty sure they're Lemurians. And they were around me just healing, having their hands up and just healing me. And I saw the sun coming through the very summit of the mountain, the very peak. And that's, I was in there for a while and my sister came by. I was leaning against, I was sitting there leaning against a tree. And she said, I'm going to go for a walk. Do you want to go? And I said, I'm inside the mountain right now. And she said, oh, okay. <laughs> I'll let you be. <laughs> I'll be back in an hour. So I was just in there being healed for the longest time, and then I had the conversation with them about what to do and how to lift up the 3D world, and that's when they said to love more. And and then so I and then I popped out just before my sister got out, and I said, "Oh well, that was fast." And they said, "Oh no, you're still in here." We're going to keep you in here for about 24 hours, but you can still, you know, move around. So I was in both places, but I was really out of it. And so then the next day I went back, and then I felt like they had released me. And then a couple of years later I went back, and I was back in again. And and then now they're just with me all the time. I don't have to go back there to be with them. They're... if. You know they're here. They like any of us. We can be anywhere at any time. Right. So, right. so was this a group of beings? Yeah, yeah. I'd say about eight or nine of them. There's always that group, the same beings with me each time. Wow. 
And you said, now this was 2013 and 14. Um, are they helping you, influencing you, inspiring you with your with your writing? Yeah, they are. They're now they're now I have like groups of beings with me when I meditate every day. And I do a lot of light work as I'm meditating, just blasting the planet. And I lovingly <laughs> and I yeah. need a lot of help with that. So I have them and now the brown beings are there and a lot of um, lords of light and company of heaven, lots of beings are with me. And, yeah, they they all help with the writing, infusing it with love and light and humor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, and I've, uh, I've heard from other, other people's stories about the E.T. sense of humor, um, and it's, <laughs> it's very real. I mean, in in some of the some of the races, um, I suppose there are some that are more like the Vulcans, and they don't they don't use comedy. But but um, uh, and and you said then the brown beings, you feel like they were Egyptian. Well, they look they have Egyptian eyes, and like their heads are that Egyptian style, going up and back, um, and they're about seven feet tall. I don't. I should get Craig Campobasso's book about ETs. They seem to live in the area, in the mountains around Crestone, but they're not from here originally. So I should get his book and see if I can find them in there. Oh, yeah. And for anyone that's listening that don't know what you're talking about, um, another one of our dear friends and and multiple um, guests uh, on the show his latest book is called The Extraterrestrial Species Almanac. And it, it's like a reference book, you know, with pictures and descriptions of, uh, I think it's 82 different species. So, yeah, you got to pick that up. Yeah. So um, are, are your books um, on Audible as well? They are. I love making audio books. I I didn't know this until I started doing it, but to read what came just through my head and being able to say it the way I originally heard it as it came in is just really fun. Another person reading them wouldn't be able to do it that way, the way it came in. They'd be acting, so which is great. Right. But I really appreciate doing it just as it came in, and I have so much fun with that. Yeah, um, almost all of them have the audio tape, and they're all on Kindle. Yeah, yeah well, I think that Kindle is for the e-book that you actually, you know, you download and you read it like a book. Um, and then the audio, I mean the Audible, you download the audio book. And I, I think it's a, it's it's something that because people are spending so much time in their cars and maybe don't want to just listen to the you know regular radio stations and um you know listening to listening to audio books is i think it's the trend that is really picking up in this country so i'm glad yeah. that you're on top of that yeah and these are uplifting and inspiring and magical <laughs> so They'd make a very magical car ride, that's for sure. 
<laughs> I listen to yeah. you guys in the I when I go on trips I binge listen to you and just <laughs> talk about uplifting. I'm surprised the car is still on the road and not just sailing <laughs> through the <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean there are there are some episodes like um our featured episode Crack Between the Worlds. Um if you're gonna listen to that in the car you better be a passenger. Because we've had people talk about about you know maybe you know losing consciousness, passing out, can't stay awake. There's all kinds of things that happen when people listen to that story. So that one, um, I wouldn't recommend listening to while you're driving. But yeah, certainly, um, 99% of our episodes would be appropriate for that. Right. Right. Um, And there's a lot of um, power communicated through the voice. I remember the first time I heard Lavendar's voice, I was listening to a show by um, Meg Blackburn-Losey, and I heard Lavendar's voice, and that was it. I knew I had to connect with her. I was looking to have a reading done, and I heard her voice and said, okay, that's the one I want the reading done. Yeah, we hear that a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, and then when I heard her talk about anything from the vault, it's it's that information is just pardon the pun vaulted. It's exalted information. It's so powerful. And hearing her read stuff is is amazingly powerful. So, yeah, the voice is a powerful tool for love that's for sure yeah, well i mean certain people um like lavendar have, have what we call voices that are coded for activation so there's a frequency that you know like like you hear on tv they have they can piggyback a a, a message on another signal or something you know that that's what we do in in our world but um in the et world um those those frequencies are coded within the voices of of people, some people, like Lavendar, so that no matter who is listening to them and no matter what level they're on, um, it's like being able to sing five notes at once. Right. And, and, you know, some people can only hear the lower notes, some people can only hear the higher notes, and, and then the people in between. So when your voice is coded that way, um, you can activate people from the level they're on. Right, and yeah. you with your singing, you certainly activate people when you're singing. That's yeah, and I I, I enjoy doing that. Yeah, always we have. Can tell. <laughs> yeah, it's magical. Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you. So, um, I just forgot the question I was about to ask you. Oh, oh, so when you when are you still? I mean, obviously not last year, but. Are you starting to travel um, or have plans uh, coming up? We do. We do have plans to travel. Um, the stay-at-home time really threw us for a loop, I mean, as it did for most people. Um, so we're just getting our bearings again. Um, and the main thing right now is um, if I have to do another rewrite or something, and as I mentioned, I should be hearing any day from my agent about what what the next step is and it's big this is big this is it's a very relevant timely 
beautiful story coming out at the perfect time. 42% of trans people attempt suicide. So if this book helps anybody, I would be more than thrilled. Well, I'm sure it will, especially since that's your intent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And people who've read it have, there's a lot, it's like a primer on the whole trans world and language and things like that. And so, like the whole boomer generation who kind of didn't get any of this, it's a good lesson manual for them. So, mm-hmm. that'll help. So, um, <laughs> when you, you know, when you normally, you know, upcoming travel, do you go by yourself or does your husband go with you? Well, it it depends. If it's just to California or New York, you know, where I used to live and just hang out with friends and stuff, I often go by myself. But he and I go on vacations together, like, you know, somewhere hot. Hot with an ocean. <laughs> um, but we're planning on, you know, a world trip one one of these years, hopefully soon. We were thinking of that, and then the pandemic hit. So, yeah, lots well, to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, for a writer, I mean, writers are kind of solitary, stay at home, and and write. So that might have been fruitful to, you know, to have that time available. Yeah, yeah, it really was. So when my improv got together, one of the guys said, so how was your time? How was the pandemic for you? I said, what pandemic? I was teasing. (laughs) But really, I just stayed home and wrote for 15 months. So, And actually, I did travel a fair bit. Um, a friend of mine had a had brain surgery to California to, on two trips to help her take care of her. So it was busy. Wow. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, and you have, from the 15 months in, in lockdown, you have one book or, or, or a couple of books coming out? I have two books coming out. The second one I haven't even sent in to my agent yet, but I will um, once the first one's all ready to go. And that's about finding the love of your life. Small subject. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I think every person on the planet at some point in their life was interested in finding the love of their lives. Yeah. you know, there might be there might be people who are beyond, you know, past that and had it and and you know and now they're alone, but there there are a lot of people that I think would like and is it like about someone doing just that, finding their love the love of their lives? Right. Right. Um it's about well my first book on visioning is about manifesting the life of your dreams. So this is also about manifesting but just more focused on love, finding your twin flame. 
And so ways to do that, ways to open up for that to happen and what I did. I mean, I was, I went full out when I was looking for him. I had Ken and Barbie in the relationship corner of the house in their <laughs> wedding clothes. In their oh, wedding <laughs> And I always had two roses and two candles and two wine glasses. I, I was calling him in. So, yeah. And so it's that, things you can do. Which, I mean, it wasn't Ken and Barbie in the corner that did it. It was my intention every time I looked at Ken and Barbie over there. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, I, I, have, I have often said that that's how feng shui works. They're reminders, so every time you look at it, you give it more of your intent, more of your intention, more of your energy uh, to help right. it manifest. But right. um, for for people who are um, are, are listeners, uh, maybe just waking up, maybe new to the concepts of of manifestation, uh, as well as you know clients and in, in, in sessions that I've had, I always tell people you've got to be really really specific. You can't name any names. Uh, because that would be, you know, interfering with with someone's free will. But you've got to be so specific, because um, I mean, for for <laughs> for example, you know, if you're trying to, you know, manifest the love of your life, you got to put in there that, you know, they have respect. You know, they would. Uh, I'm trying to keep this in a real positive vein, but um, you know, you, you've got to be really specific because if you leave something out, you might. You might get something that you didn't order. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like I, I heard a story about a couple who were manifesting, praying, trying to uh, conceive. They wanted a child so badly, and and they forgot to put healthy in their manifestation. And they did indeed have a child who was not healthy. So, oh wow! So yeah, wow. you've got to be yeah. Real, yeah, you got to be really specific without naming names. And and right. I mean, just you know, I mean, this is just what I tell now. People who are you know more advanced and they understand the concepts of manifestation, they might not need that reminder. But uh, I just I started seeing people going and setting stuff in their house, just like you just descri- described, and you know, they forget to mention that there's no addictions, there's no you know <laughs> you know no psycho X. You know, that kind of thing. Right, um, right. Yeah, but you have to put it. You have to put it in a in a positive way because anytime you say no or never or I don't want, the universe doesn't understand that. All they's like, oh, an addict. Okay, we'll get you one right away. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, um, right. You, you, get, right. you just have to try to find phraseology that's in a positive um, rather than saying what you don't want because then you'll get it. Right. <laughs> so, you know, always be very careful with your words when you're when you're going to start uh, moving energy like that. Right. And the friend who I sat down and wrote my list with, she we really I have a beautiful like loving, powerful um family man has time and room in his life for a relationship and a family and it went on and on and she said okay when I was done with it she said okay you do know you have to become all of these things first right I was like oh my god 
Right. I forgot about that part. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Okay. It's like a on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I was trying to reconcile that that phrase that, you know, like attracts like, birds of a feather <clears throat> flock together. But yet then other people say, well, opposites attract. And and I'm thinking and opposites balance. Right. And since, the, you know, the nature of the universe is about balance, then that would be why opposites would attract to find that balance. But, right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, diversity is okay, but, um, but you have to be, you have to have the things that you're wanting, or you have to think of it in that way that you already have it. And right. And you are that way too, yeah. I have a friend who's been happily married for about 35 years, and she talks a lot, and her husband is so quiet and they're so happy with each other. They balance each other out. So they were opposite in that regard, but like in many other regards. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I just, I was trying to reconcile that in my brain. Well, if opposites attract, then how can birds of a feather flock together? <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> so, so yeah, but it's it's the, um, you know, the, the, the congruity between the two people, the, the, the things that overlap with with enough differences to bring in the the diversity so there's an expansion for both people. Right, right. Yeah. So, um are you are you doing any like open mic stand up these days or is it still kind of um affected by the pandemic? Well, um, the open mics are opening up, and my improv team has started performing again. But um, I, I'm just starting to put some material together. It was just so on the back burner for so long while I was – my agent, I'm telling you, she has pulled a masterpiece out of me. <laughs> she made me write a bestseller. <laughs> So that really wow. took up the whole last 21 months, really, is how long it's taken. Um, so I'll be getting back on the open mic thing soon. It is fun. I watched um, Seinfeld during the pandemic, both his um, comedians and cars having coffee and the show itself. He is, he to me, he's just the essence of how you do it you just it's for the laugh it's to there's so much joy in comedy and so so i've been studying people need that yeah you know i mean when 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 people you know they want to go out and have a good time it's really laughter that they're looking for and when people right. think you know when they tell stories about the best you know, the best party, the best night they ever had in their life is when they laugh so hard they can hardly breathe, you know. And and your frequency shoots up so much higher when, you, when, you're, right. laughter, when you're laughing or, or when you're joyful. And sometimes you're so joyful that you start laughing. And that's that right. real high-frequency stuff. So even, I mean, it's not so much about the, the material. It's about, you know, getting that laughter and raising the frequency of the room. It's just another vehicle uh, to do what you do with a pen. 
Yeah. On social media, a lot of people like to ask questions. On Instagram the other day, I asked the question, what's the youest thing about you? And I said, I'll go first. And my youest thing about me is that I wake up laughing <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Well, that's a great way I don't to know who I've been talking to up there when I'm coming back in, but I'm laughing. But they've got good material, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Well, that's the that's the best that's the best way I could think of to wake up. Uh, Aww, that's true. Laughter. God, you're very fortunate when that happens. So, um, I think. We're about ready to wrap it up here. Is there any other um, point that you'd like to make? No, I think we covered everything. It's always such a joy to just hang out with you, (laughs) you and Lavender. I just, like I said, I adore you. And thank you for the beautiful work you do for the whole world. You light it up. You really do with what you do. Thank you. We all do it collectively, and yeah. uh, we'll look forward to, to seeing you in Arkansas again um, at some point in the future. I'll be there. Can... Okay. Absolutely. So once again, Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, Anne's website is net, and you can also find her on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, and I want and to say Anne does not have... Oh, there's no E on Ann. It's just A-N-N. Okay, so we got that straight. So um, I want to thank everyone for listening, and we will be back in two weeks. And you take care until then, and remember to find something to be grateful for in every day and show compassion rather than judgment, because that's the door to 5D. Until next time, everyone, good night. been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com.